0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Splash Play, one where Pete and I will be, over the next hour, really just hating life after a weekend of NFL wildcard DFS that, let's say, didn't go the best for everyone involved, but we'll talk about it as we go. I'm Chris Bags, joined once again by your friend and mine, a man who I, I saw in the tilt space, I saw it was heading south, and then it apparently only went worse from there. He's Peter Overset. How are you doing, Pete? You know what? Normally, I have
1: more... I have a kind of like a chill vibe, you know, behind my couch. I can normally have some light blues, some, you know, dark blues. And uh, today it's, it's bloody Monday. So we're going pure red, my anger. And uh, yeah, I was winning uh, multiple GPPs up until halftime of the game. I knew I was going to slip a little bit. There were too many like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb teams, but I didn't envision not cashing at all uh, going from first place and in two quarters to not cashing. And, uh, that's what happens when every single Steelers wide receiver gets there in the second half. So yeah, I was buried. I was, uh, luckily the one smart thing I did is I pulled the eject button. I left my phone right here at my computer. I went up to bed and I waited until the next morning to check it out because I knew it was going to be bad. I just didn't know how bad.
0: Well, unfortunately, not the best for you, but let's take a quick little break here to make sure we hit the like button and subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple podcast, give us five stars and a review. And uh, before we get into the wild card stuff, one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit up top here. First of all, you want to give our thanks to Matthew Barry for coming on the show. That was a, a pretty fun thing for us. Uh, Pete's done streams than before, but I mentioned to Pete, I was excited. That, you know, I've grew up reading the guy grew up listening to the guy, watching the guy fancy focus, really my first exposure to a, a podcast that I actually, you know, tried to get smarter at fantasy. Fantasy sports with. And I thought it was great. But the one thing I have to say, the reaction from some people out there, I think, especially with him talking about the casuals and DFS players out there. A couple guys, I know I promoted it briefly on the Osmo stream I was doing over the weekend. And some guy was like, Yeah, like, oh, he really bashed us. It's like, I didn't get that response. You know, I didn't sort of understand it that much because you know, we we were really grateful. I think when a guy like Matthew Barry comes on our, our little bootstrap show here, it's a nice thing for everybody involved, but also, I just I don't get how you could be possibly mad at that guy for really setting the the world to aware about fantasy football. Like his presence got so many people, whether they be sharp players or casual players or whatever, to actually care about it. And um, to me, I just wanted to kind of say that like I'm I like admire the hell out of the guy. Somebody had, had tweeted us like, oh, Spags at some point must have bashed Barry at Barstool. It's like, no, I swear to God, like I never bashed the guy because, you know, you have your guys you love. And Barry, to me, Matthew Barry has been always somebody I loved.
1: Yeah, Paul, you need to cut it out with those tweets, buddy. Uh, I meant to message you about that. Cut that shit out. Oh, um, <laughs> well, wow,
0: chastising for Pete. Oh, I
1: mean, Paul. Paul's a buddy. He's, uh, you know, he just flies a little too close to the sun with his tweets sometimes. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get, I don't get the, uh, you know, he didn't, he wasn't going after DFS players. He was trying to say like everyone in this fantasy space is inclusive together. I always like it's a dumb analogy, but I always think about fantasy as and even personalities is it's like ice cream flavors. We all like ice cream. Some of us like a pistachio. Some of us like a mint chocolate chip, but we're all here under this like ice cream store umbrella. Like, let's just all enjoy it. You know, it's okay yeah. if you don't love every specific thing or every specific format,
0: but we're all that rising tide lifts all ice cream cones, I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic expression that Confucius <laughs> came up with that one uh, many years ago, enjoying a nice Ben and Jerry's. But yeah, I, I'm with you. And you know, that's sort of what the show is. We want to have fun with fantasy. Like the show, we try to make people smarter as much as we can. But ultimately, you know, people ask what this show is about. It's just Pete and I trying to have fun, trying to make fun of the things that we do with fantasy football. And obviously, you know, Pete's done a, a better job of that across every single thing that he does as well. Uh, but, you know, just wanted to talk about it real fast. And again, wanted to show a lot of love to Matthew Barry for coming on the show and being somebody who's you know talked to Pete, obviously works with Pete on the Fantasy Life newsletter. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that Matthew's done for the community that you guys might not even be aware of and, and guys like Pete and myself. And I think, you know, I just wanted to say that real fast because it meant a lot to me to have him on the show. And I thought it was really cool and we're happy to have him on and you know it's going to be tough for our next guest i think we're gonna i think we're gonna ask i think we're gonna go back to the sal well but it's gonna be that that's a good follow-up i think if we can get sal back on on friday All
1: right. i or i or i just try to shoot my shot with adam schefter we just keep going <laughs> you know bigger and bigger here uh, i was gonna to say too one thing we had the a theme of that show was also saying like hey the washington football team is pretty live yeah. against the box and they definitely were, I mean, really, really close to pulling off that upset. And, uh, you know, you and, uh, the backup quarterbacks, you know, they get a nice notch in your belt there with Taylor Heineke looking awesome.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about our ride or die picks, especially because there were some massive wins. I think this actually might have been the highest output uh, from anybody this week. Uh, one of us hit that. I won't say who, uh, but let's talk real fast about this firing gem city gridiron in the chat here, asking about Doug Peterson being fired. And this is what we got to talk about here. A statement came out from the Eagles today. It, it seemed like uh Doug Peterson looked safe heading into the last week. Then there were some reports murmuring about, and in this statement, I believe from Jeffrey Luria, uh, I've spent the last few weeks evaluating everything from this past year and looking ahead. We're all very disappointed. With the way our season went, eager to turn things around, not just for next season, but also the future of the franchise. Coach Peterson and I had the opportunity to sit down and discuss what the collective vision would look like moving forward after taking some time to reflect on these conversations. I believe it's in both uh, best in both of our interests. It's part ways. So, uh, are you surprised by this, Pete? Because I, I, the guy just won a Super Bowl. He's definitely got him to the playoffs more often than not. granted, in that NFC East, where I think you and I could put together a Tecmo Bowl team and maybe get into the playoffs there. But I do feel like this is kind of taking me for a surprise overall. And I, I don't, I don't know that I expected it, but I do think it might be the right move for them, especially, you know, just given the, the tethering to Carson Wentz that they're going to have to figure out.
1: Yeah. To me, uh, To me, he's more of a scapegoat here. I feel like the GM, Howie Roseman, has been the guy that's kind of struggled and made some really suspect moves over the years. And yeah, I mean, I know Doug Peterson isn't, you know, maybe a top five coach in the NFL, but I think he's probably, you know, a top 15, you know, a a guy who's shown that he can take a team to the Super Bowl. So, I don't know. It feels like a a scapegoat situation here. And like basically a head had to roll after the way they handled that whole Jalen Hurts situation at the end. And uh, it seems like he decided to, uh, to shove, uh, you know, uh, Doug Peterson in front of the bus instead of kind of, you know, manning up himself. So I don't know. I, I don't mind Peterson. I think Howie Roseman's the one who should probably go.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's w- the way that I'm feeling about it too. Is that you know Jalen Hurts, I think, very vocally grousing about things. Miles Sanders had a quote like it did seem for better or worse like Doug Peterson lost the locker room, which is a uh, you know never a good thing. But it sucks because it's not his fault. Like he we talked about it on the show, and I think I might have over exaggerated or just you know couldn't figure out on the go what's with all the tiebreakers and all that how it affected their draft pick. But still, you know you're doing the right thing for the organization to get them three draft slots, four draft slots. Who knows what the draft capital they can get back if they trade down or who's going to be available at six that wouldn't be available at you know 10 or eight or whatever it would have been uh so to me like i think it sucks that he kind of got that because he did what the organization uh really wanted to do he was in their direction and and in hindsight he probably should have just play to win
1: yeah yeah and i mean the also like a, another one in recent memory too is from the draft i mean the eagles needed a wide receiver the entire city was like draft Justin Jefferson, draft Justin Jefferson. I remember that. Like that wasn't even a hindsight or yeah, I wish we would have had him. No, th- they wanted Justin Jefferson and they grabbed Jalen Raker, who's probably going to be fine. But like Justin Jefferson is going to be <laughs> like a top five wide receiver in the NFL probably over the next ten years. So it's uh, that's another kind of just catastrophic mistake, and they've had they've had lots of them uh, in the front office as well. So yeah, it's a it's a tough spot.
0: And a question from Elron, Mexico, that's actually a fantastic name, merging the former Mike Vick pseudonym with, of course, cult leader slash Scientology hero, Elron Hubbard. But uh, Sanders value up no more running back by community with Doug out. I think it's fair to ask the questions here, Pete, like what do you think is going to happen? I think we need to know who the coach coming in is, but I think it's very possible that, you know, this Eagles team does have weapons there. And for whatever it's worth, Doug Peterson had that magical run the first year to the Super Bowl, but did not maximize whatever weapons they do have there. I think it's possible, you know, to, if you do have a, a early drafting league, I wouldn't hate the idea of going a little bit heavier on Miles Sanders, going a little heavier on a Jalen Rager in the hopes that there's upside because uh, these guys, you know, all takes is the right coach and the right offense. And all of a sudden these guys could be massive fantasy performers
1: yeah no for sure I think any kind of shake up like that uh, can be helpful it's a little interesting because part of the narrative was for a while with Peterson that it was all running back by committee you know even when they I believe when they first drafted Sanders they were still even mixing in Sproles in there uh when he was on the team and then they started to give Miles Sanders a pretty good workload down the stretch to the point where even Boston Scott was kind of de-emphasized in the offense so um I, I don't necessarily think it might be a massive shift from what we were seeing, but it can't, it can't hurt. And uh, yeah, they they have exciting weapons. You know, I, I mean, Goddard is a great talent at tight end with Ertz aging. I still have faith that Rager can be there. They found a gem, it seems like, in Travis Fulgham. So hopefully a, a, a more kind of offensive uh, mastermind can come in here and really maximize the talent they have because they have it.
0: Yeah. And it's too early to, to prognosticate who these guys could be. I feel like the, the coaching carousel this year seems extra random with like urban Meyer seeming like maybe a shoe in, in Jacksonville. Like I think this, the whole coaching search, it really could get weird. And there was also a, a report I saw yesterday, uh, which is from a verified account. And uh, I don't think it picked up a ton of momentum, but there was a rumor that the, the Eagles might trade Doug Peterson to the jets, which would just be hilarious. This another retread guy who probably hit his apex somewhere else. And now uh, him being the jets head coach would just be a funny outcome.
1: Yeah, that uh, that sounds about perfect. Who was the other one that was tossed around? Was it Jason Garrett was tossed around oh, yeah. for the Jets? And it's just like, yes, their, their short list for coaches is just, uh, I mean, what, what do we need next? Like them interviewing Booger? They're like, we want to pull him out of the broadcast booth. We think
0: Booger could coach the Jets. Yeah, that a great analysis always. And that's going to translate well to the field, I'm sure. Uh, let's also talk about the wild card because there's one free agent thing that I want to hit on, but I think we need to get to our little wild card weekend recap. So, guys, make sure you hit that like button. And of course, if you're new around here, hit the subscribe button. We're putting out shows two times a week right now. Going to downshift a little bit in the offseason, but we're going to do some fun and interesting things on the channel to hopefully differentiate ourselves from the pack of other fantasy football shows out there. So, hit, hit that uh, subscribe button and uh, make sure you're paying attention to whatever we do. But, Pete, you had the funniest tweet I thought the weekend with the Nickelodeon game. And um, I don't have it in front of me, so I don't want to misquote you, but uh, referring to how they're treating you like a child or talking down to you like a child in the broadcast. And that was what it was, but it was a weird mix of nostalgia plus like acting like it was for kids, plus SpongeBob and slime. And I have to say, I, I, I smoked the right amount of weed to be very on board with it all. <laughs> you know, what? I, I wish I would have done that.
1: Uh, we had the tilt space after, so I didn't want to uh, quite do that. But I legitimately unironically enjoyed it. Um, And I'm not saying I want to, you know, watch that every single week, but it was just a great, fun change of pace. I loved Gabby having better fourth down instincts than most announcers and coaches being like, I don't know, why not go big or go home? Uh, So I just, I just enjoyed it. And, and even aside from the slime and the graphics and stuff, it was just fun to get, um, I think Connor Orr over at sports illustrated, he wrote an article about it this morning. He said to watch football stripped away of like all pretenses and hubris and just to, you know, celebrate it in a fun, you
0: know, non
1: pretentious way was just super refreshing. And I, uh, I enjoyed the palate cleanser for sure.
0: Yeah. And I thought too, you know, having Burleson there, like Nate Burleson's a guy, I feel like is generally kind of underrated as a media personality and he's getting some more opportunities. So I think that's a good sign, but he was clearly having fun with it and no Eagle. I feel like he gets a lot of criticism for his Clippers work, but I thought, you know, was kind of the younger guy, definitely the most nepotistic, like possibly sounds like his dad, the name is there. There aren't a lot of Eagles out there, I think for the most part, but I thought they really did a good job. And Gabby, I, her enthusiasm, like there was one punt where she was like, wow, it was just like, <laughs> kind of cringe but also like good. It's just fun to see somebody having fun doing a broadcast.
1: Yeah, it was fun. I was uh I we were doing the tilt space when Anthony Miller got ejected. How did they
0: ha- handle that because I was curious how they uh, they're like fighting so is bad. I think they <laughs> cut away very fast. directly <laughs> uh, correctly because he did punch him in the face. Probably not <laughs> the thing you want on your four kids broadcast. Uh but still something that I, you know, I, I it's got to happen in a football game, so maybe they can't do it every time, but like I was watching with my girlfriend, she had a great time doing it. I heard on Bill Simmons' podcast, he suggested maybe they do a bravo feed just for the ladies and I think like, Look, that seems a little, uh, you know, limiting and maybe a little bit teetering on sexism. But why not? Like, why not just get different alternative feeds? Like, I know NBA does that with League Pass. Like, like I think there's a realistic world in the next five years, Pete, where if we stick with this, we could have our own feed someday. I was laughing because Warren Sharp, who.
1: I like Ward, his Twitter account. It can be hilarious at times because it's it's like his brain is broken of tweeting what he wants to tweet versus tweeting what he thinks will go viral. And this tweet just like was trying to balance that line. And he's like, I'm loving the Nickelodeon broadcast. Every single channel should have their own version of an NFL broadcast. And he put in all caps, every single. Whereas like you were like, yeah, it'd be fun. We have a, you know, a Bravo one or a you know, cookie one. He's like, no, I want C-SPAN. Football, okay. I want A E football. You know, I'm like, okay, let's let's relax here. Maybe just a couple spit offs.
0: Yeah, just start. You got to start from square one. And Nickelodeon, I thought did a good job. I also thought too, like there was unequivocally had to be some guys angrily tweeting Gabby about how she doesn't know football, which she's a 15 year old girl who's literally posting Instagram stories and tweeting during the game. <laughs> and it's just like I just thought of some guy angrily typing like, "You do? Do you even know how, what a third down is?" <laughs> just getting mad at young Sheldon and all that shit. That's just angry dudes online always. Speaking of that, the Nickelodeon. So I had that tweet and
1: in uh, and one guy replied to me and he's like, that's the point. It's for kids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the literal guy. Always the worst in the app mentions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just got to bless them. You got to just bless their soul. And then uh, I think it's worth pointing out uh, the Mitchell Trubisky winning the MVP, which um, honestly kind of a problematic branding. I feel like I didn't love, like there were a couple times they kept saying phrases. I, I saw a black Twitter account pointing out how uh, they were saying Nickify a lot. And perhaps if one said that quickly, it didn't sound the best uh, to some of the people out there. But the MVP being Mitchell Trubisky, uh, I guess an ironic award. The internet kind of gravitated towards it early and uh, pointed out that you know he, he was one of the votes that were available because they basically just had choose these five players before the game. And I think that was how they selected it and Mitchell getting that award, but then they don't even do an interview with him. They just interviewed cam Jordan instead, because you can't give the guy who (laughs) completely submarined his team, the entire game, an award presentation. I thought that was just perfect. They just didn't plan. I think for the, internet's ironic embrace of everything about the show
1: yeah uh it was funny too i was listening to bill barnwell on espn daily podcast this morning and he was saying that apparently there was a wikipedia war going on after the game with people um changing mitch trubisky's page to saying mvp of that game and then people tried to change it back and all of this stuff so uh you gotta love nickelodeon uh you know fostering conversation on the internet uh
0: sphere I was I enjoyed it. I have to say all about it. I don't know that I would want to watch every single game be a Nickelodeon game, but as a change of pace. Uh, never hurts to see something a little bit different. Um, let's go game by game with the ride or die picks for this, because I want to talk a little bit more about the slate in some degree of depth, and um, I feel like we had some really good takes on the show with Matthew Barry that are worth bringing to the people, especially uh, who, our mystery winner of last week, who had a fantastic performance. But in this game, Pete, uh, the first game up, you picked Michael Pittman to outscore Stefan Diggs. Ooh. I said Stefan Diggs in the Millie Maker, and then uh, Matthew Berry had Philip Rivers as a top four QB on the week, which did happen. Um, the digs and the millimaker thing, I thought was honestly more obvious when I was going through the lineups. And I feel kind of bad taking the 10 points on this one, but you're calling Pittman like Pittman looked phenomenal in that game. And really, I thought took a lot of pressure off of rivers, rivers as he basically tried to give the game away at parts. So I want to give you some kudos here. I feel like he didn't outscore Stefan Diggs, who's a, a beast of a man, but I do feel like Pittman really showed a lot here heading into the off season.
1: Yeah, he looks good. He has that yards after the catch ability too. That's pretty exciting. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good wide receiver. And yeah, I didn't push back because we were with Matthew Barry and it wasn't time to really get into the nuances of the scoring system. Uh, but yeah, the whole ethos of the 10-point millimaker play is a main slate where there's a ton of different combinations, not a six-game slate. So yeah, whatever this, whoever this mystery is, Guest is who
0: won it. What is they even reveal? Who was it? Is it you uh, or Matthew? I got 33 points because I got three 10 pointers, two of which, I mean, we can't even argue. I got Lamar over 133 and the Rams win by 10, which we pointed out. I mean, that would, if I had made that bet, like a smart person might, um, I would have done a nice job with that. But uh, yeah, 10, 10 for that. And then 10 for digs. And then I got a three pointer for Deontay Johnson. Yeah, And I'm, I'm right now
1: I'm, I'm knocking the digs one down to
0: three. So now we re- 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 got of- Metcalf as what? a millie maker. No, what then? They're both are they're both three pointers. Okay, fine, fine, fair enough then. So we'll we'll deduct. I'll deduct it now on our end, so we don't have to do that. But um, but the rest of this game, the the Bills, I honestly feel like here's my concern next week for the Bills is they don't show enough until they have to, and I feel like they were kind of playing it a little bit slow and easy with Indianapolis to start. You know, the second half we saw them come out, really feed digs, really force the ball downfield, and that worries me going into the next week for them, where I, I really want to see the Bills make it to the AFC title game. To me, the marquee matchup is them versus the chiefs, but I just kind of worry here that they're going to do like they did last year that got them eliminated where they don't show enough early. And then if you don't have enough time left, like maybe Josh Allen can't force the ball downfield. And I, there's some ways to me that I think that, that game concerned me a little more than I would have felt uh, normally for the bills.
1: Yeah, they had some stuff. I was trying to figure that out too, because they were running on mm-hmm. early downs way more than they had been. And I was wondering, is Cole Beasley more banged up still? And they don't feel comfortable as using him kind of as an extension of the running game with the dink and dunk stuff, uh, because that is what had made the bill so exciting, how they basically just eschewed the run and would pass almost every down. But now you have Zach Moss, who's probably out, for the rest of the season, it sounds like. And that means Devin Singletary is going to be the feature back who they already like to use in more up-tempo stuff. So if we can push them back to being just you know, overly pass-happy, I, I hope they get back to their roots because I agree with you. Some of their game plan felt a little conservative, but if you get rid of Zach Moss another week for Cole Beasley to get healthy, maybe we can get back to the, uh, the
0: glory edition of the Bills. And I guess, you know, kind of a concern here to be heading into next week, I think for John Brown, I need to, I haven't actually checked the, the routes run. I'm curious, actually, maybe, maybe that's pulled up on PFF now. I don't know if they, if they track everything for the playoff weeks. Oh, they do. I'll pull this up while we talk, but it did feel like Gabriel Davis, when he was out there was definitely getting looked at a lot more. And if you're going to have a week where Gabriel Davis catches a lot of balls downfield, you know, has some end zone looks as well. Like it does feel like John Brown's going to be useless and, uh, let me see if these stats, but how did you feel about that with, with Davis and Brown? And I know you mentioned too, that you had a, a good amount of John Brown as well, and that zero had to hurt with him being back in the lineup.
1: Oh yeah. The John Brown, uh, bagel was, uh, was devastating. Um, but I think it's also in the range of outcomes for a player like him and how he's used down the field. The thought was just, Hey, Cole's, Cole Beasley, isn't going to be full strength, maybe more of a target bump for John Brown that didn't end up happening uh and the the other regrettable thing about it is he ended up being mega owned too it was like everyone had the same line of thought of going to John Brown there so yeah that was uh that was bad I had some zeros in some good lineups and that definitely stung
0: yeah, John Brown actually ran 39 routes. So he ran uh, about 15 more routes than Gabriel Davis did actually ran. Uh, let's see. He ran the same amount of routes as Stefan Diggs. So Brown should have had a better day. He was out there at least. And uh, I, I don't know that that's a, that's worrisome, but I do think it sucks, but probably a good reason. To go back to John Brown next week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in general, going back to these guys that have burned people is, uh, is always a good DFS strategy. Unfortunately, the projections and the optimizers tend to ruin those kind of plays for us. Cause then you run an optimal
0: and you're like, Oh, John Brown is still showing up in this optimal lineup. Uh, maybe I should go back to him. So we will see. So the next game on the slate, which I think we should cover a little bit is that the Rams, their big upset win over Seattle uh, Seahawks only a three point favorite. So it's not a gigantic, gigantic upset, but still going on the road, winning a game. And I have to say, I was so sad for John Wolford. I feel like that game, honestly, you know, it was a 10 point win. It's a pretty impressive win. But to me, the way he was moving that ball downfield on that drive before a hit on Jamal Adams, that messed up his neck. I, I haven't seen any reports about John Wolford, if he even will be available to play next week or have a chance to play. Uh, Spine injury, never a good thing. But I was really impressed, and I I felt so good about all my touting of him. And then he goes out like that, and that's got to be the most crushing thing possible for a player, a guy like him, who was basically working in finance. He gets this job, and then you get a a cheap hit by Jamal Adams, whether he intended it or not. And it hurts your neck, maybe screws up his spine. Like, that is the saddest outcome of all of them. Yeah,
1: and just to... Uh, update on his status. So McVeigh has said that he's day-to-day with a stinger. Um, So day-to-day sounds relatively promising as does stinger. So uh, hopefully uh, he's good to go. And I mean, all indications are golf, not playing because he was hurt is a little bogus, right? Like if he was truly hurt, he would have been inactive and they would have had another emergency quarterback elevated, but Goff apparently was fine enough to come in. To me, it seems like a soft benching of Jared Goff there that they thought John Wolfer gave them their best chance to win. And it's hard to disagree with that. And
0: uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited and uh, hope he gets the start here this week. Yeah, Aikman, I think had mentioned, I'm pretty sure that was the Aikman game where he was like, yeah, uh, I t- we had talked to McVay and then he kind of separated the thoughts, but had mentioned that, you know, McVay had lost some faith in Goff down the stretch because he just wasn't executing the way that they would have liked. And I think, you know, we've talked about it on the show where just golf is a guy that uh, I find very frustrating. And I really do think a lot of his success is based on, you know, McVay telling him what to do in the headset. And now we've kind of seen Goff, you know, I think regress in a lot of ways there, uh, where Walford, Walford actually opens up the game in a lot of ways. He can get the ball downfield, clear the mobilities. A thing that McVay likes. I don't know. It's going to be enough to win versus a uh, green Bay, but I still feel like Walford is the better QB here. And the guy that I'd want out there, I guess, Pete, would you, you're a little less biased in this fact. Would you want Walford out there instead of Goff? Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, I think like you said, the rushing dimension is harder for defenses to plan for. And he seems adequate, um, throwing the ball too. I mean, it's just hard to make a case that Jared Goff right now is better than him. And I don't know if, if Goff has the yips and you know, McVay was able to get a lot out of Goff in previous years. And I think he tailored the offense really nicely to him and allowed him to succeed. But now that they have acres and they're kind of wanting to do like more power football and stuff, it just doesn't seem like the offense is tailored to, to golf anymore. And so might as well, let Wolford, you know, hand off the ball to to Acres, and then keep defenses on his toes with his mobility, and then you take a few shots now and again with with uh, Cup
0: and Woods. So I think it's their best chance to win. And we got to talk real fast about DK Metcalf because you did mention that uh, you had him in your Millie Maker winning lineup. Uh, that not, not not that you won a Millie Maker, and then you had him in your lineup, but you chose him to be one of the guys who get there, and that was correct. And a lot of people are afraid of that that matchup against Jalen Ramsey, and Ramsey did shut him down. I think overall in the year, uh, the stats for them one-on-one was not great, but that's the thing that we talk about a lot in fantasy that I think sometimes it's just worth kind of addressing here uh, for some of the casual players trying to learn a little bit more, get a little sharper if you're playing some more money in DFS and all that. You know, Metcalf still got open in ways that were completely bizarre and not you know plays that were intended the one broken play he had where he ends up on a linebacker and a safety and just gets behind him like that's what a great receiver does and i thought metcalf you know for all the frustration he had yelling on the sidelines at one point um, i thought he really did acquit himself well and and also like he looked like Thor. he disappeared for part of the game he came back and and put it down so the analogy was perfect from the show with matthew berry too
1: yeah dk metcalf man the uh The bros were worried about Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I mean, the thing is, is about that conversation is the whole point about wide receiver cornerbacks um, not mattering. The point is, is that it doesn't matter in that it's very hard to predict for fantasy purposes when those things and someone actually, I should pull this up sometime, but someone did a really good thread on this in an article about the way defenses actually work and how those individual matchups, even with cover corners don't always play out exactly like one for one things throughout the course of the game. There's so many things with rub movements and stuff that teams can do to get advantageous matchups for their best players that it's, um, it's fine. I think if you're using them as a tiebreaker, but, uh, DK Metcalf going off this week, um, with Jalen Ramsey covering in most of the game, I think is a, is a pretty good illustration of why it's hard to predict. And that is even with Jalen Ramsey making some incredible defensive knockdowns on a nice pass to him as well. So it can cut both ways. It's just hard to predict for fantasy.
0: Yeah, it's and that's why it's better just to not look at it. It's it's sort of you know it can be surprising to people out there who think that your edge is just you know knowing a team, knowing why even watching game film or whatever. But sometimes, as Pete just mentioned, there are a lot of ways and a lot of obviously that's what coaches' jobs are. So find ways to beat you know a man coverage or a, you know even a shadowing. Uh, there are a lot of ways to do that. The other game on Saturday, which I need to say right away, the Ronald Jones thing was the most upsetting thing in the world. And and one thing I felt particularly bad about there was one of the guys uh, who DMs me a lot on Instagram to you know, just generally nice dude just ask some questions. Or whatever. I'll give him a shout His name's Josh, a good dude but he had he asked me for advice and was like, how do I do like his lineups doing well? And I don't think it was going to hold like he didn't have enough, you know, a value really meaningfully exceeding, but it was in like sixth in one of the big tournaments doing well. And I was like, yeah, you got to take Ronald Jones over cam acres. <laughs> I was like, Oh, and it looked good. I think that's still the play I would have suggested. Just not knowing at that point, the golf Walford thing was still up in the air. Uh, not, assuming that Ronald Jones would be in a spot where, you know, a team favored by 10 points on the road. That's kind of prime time for Ronald Jones. And I, uh, I know your, your fellow podcast host, Pat loves Rojo. I've never been madder at Rojo than I am uh, following that where I had, I think 55% gave out the advice. And I don't know Pete, if you have a feel about this, but I always feel terrible giving up bad advice on a show. You know, we're going to make some takes, some guesses. Would somebody ask you that one V one you're like, yup. And I, I just feel the worst about it.
1: Yeah. The, the whole thing about this is I'm not, I'm not mad at ronald jones i'm mad at the reporting on it so it ended up coming out that he couldn't get loose pregame the quad contusion he battled all week and it swelled on him normally we get those reports even if it's you know 30 minutes before game time 15 minutes before game time we normally get that so to not get that report when all of us would have had ample time to switch you could have you know gone to Fournette, you could have gone to gibson rearrange your lineup however you needed I, to me, that's what made me so upset. I'm like, where are the beat reporters? Where is this? Cause they're actually mandated to pass along the injury reporting. And there's so much money on the line too. Like even outside of us who are playing, you know, let's say moderate stakes, like there's so much money going down on this stuff. It's like, come on, just at least give us the news. And, uh, you do way more NBA than me, but it seems like it's
0: more chaotic in the NBA, but the news reporting, it seems like you actually get the information. Yeah, for the most part, there are going to be some things. I was actually talking to a friend who um, was thinking about playing a little more NBA DFS, and like you, basically have to pay attention throughout the night because you know they're going to be guys who, like LeBron's questionable every day. Anthony Davis is questionable sometimes. They're going to play, sometimes they're not. You have to figure that part out. Now with the COVID stuff too, we're seeing a game postponed in the NBA today. Uh, but I agree, like uniformity, like to me that seems like next step, especially with all these leagues having their hands in the gambling, having their hands in the DFS. Like just have a hard deadline where you know I know it sucks for the guys who are you know game time decisions but i'd rather just know like by like 10 10 a.m or whatever on the west coast or whatever time period is appropriate like hey all these guys are out these guys are in and now you can kind of operate accordingly i think there just has to be some sort of acknowledgement that that's the ideal process and it sucks if you lose a couple games of guys more than you want but at the same time like i don't know that that was just i agree the reporting was the issue there and uh, there was nothing at all and then you know a lot of people out there uh just lost money for no reason i think that was the most downer of it all. Was it was such an easy swap to Fournette.
1: Yeah. And it's just nice to have the information. I say this as someone who got burned hard on the Keenan Allen thing in that game against the Raiders, where the reporting was like, he's going to be limited. And then he screamed in front of the camera, don't sit me, but that's fine. At least I had the information to make that decision myself with Ronald Jones. We just had no information. We just all assumed he's fine.
0: There was no reason not to think he was fine. So that was, that was incredibly frustrating. Was there anything else in this game that stuck out to you? I think Taylor Heineke, kind of the big story, but to me, that's sort of the the game you're going to get from a backup. Sometimes, like I, I honestly, you know, I've been more impressed by the very limited, you know, game and and one, one game and like two drives of John Wolford than I was with with Heineke there. And I think that's kind of that's my frustration as a, a backup QB uh, connoisseur, I guess, somebody who really likes to dabble and, and with them and get a, get an or like a little sense of their essence. Uh, but I feel like you know Heineke is going to get some buzz, maybe even sign with somebody as a guy competing for a starting job and did you see enough from here to do that because i think to me this matchup was the perfect one tampa bay we've talked about it a lot throughout the year they're a run funnel or for the most or a pass funnel. i always say it backwards but they're a team that stops to run so well that you have to pass against them and heineke passed and got you know the decent results that everybody gets against tampa bay when they pass so to me that wasn't enough to sell me i think alex smith actually might have had a shot to win that game if he were healthy yeah, I don't know, but like there was a
1: lot of those plays where Taylor Taylor Heineke like took off and ran. He pushed the ball down the field. Some stuff that I don't think uh, Alex Smith does. Like we didn't see a massive J.D. McKissick game. That's more the Alex Smith like just all the checkdowns. So I love the my favorite genre of these backup quarterbacks are the ones that come in. They're playing with nothing to lose. They're just like YOLO. Let's go. Let's try to make stuff happen. And to me, that was Heineke. And I think I don't know. Maybe I'm being uh, naive about it, but it did feel like he gave
0: them the best chance to win relative to how he plays compared to Alex Smith. Did you have any thoughts about people getting, uh, digging up his old, uh, political beliefs and whatever? I guess he's had a, uh, been a bit of a MAGA guy, so we don't need to talk about our, our stuff on that, but do you feel like that's a, a fair thing to do where uh, the milkshake duck thing is the thing that Twitter always talks about where it's like, oh, there's a duck who drinks milkshakes. And then, oh, the duck is racist and <laughs> people get mad at it. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little unfair. Like let the guy have a day. If you want to dig up his tweets, like wait till tomorrow. Give him a 12 hour window of just yeah oh, this is a great moment by this scrappy guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, we like uh we like our narratives to be very clean, right? Like we like the complete happy ending. You know, the guy that comes out of nowhere, puts up a great fantasy performance, and his political beliefs align with mine. Like, and then that <laughs> last one doesn't fall, and then we get we get all upset. So yeah, I mean it's you know, I, I understand both sides of the argument and, you know, if we didn't root for, you know, guys that didn't perfectly align with what we believe in, then we would have very few people, to root for ever. On the other hand, I think it's completely fine to uh, especially in this day and age to be pretty upset with some. I actually didn't even see the tweets. I just saw that he was like a MAGA bro or something so I don't know how egregious they were and how like if the rhetoric was legitimately bigoted or racist or whatever it was. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's always unfortunate when that happens.
0: I think actually uh, coincidentally with the Nickelodeon game uh, coming the next day, he had a tweet that was like defund the police in the Spongebob meme so it was like defund the po- I don't even know what you would do for the silly making fun of voice but that was like one of the tweets that people were really upset by, which I just think it's ties it all together in a nice way. It's like a nice rug. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, no, maybe, maybe I
0: will go dig up those tweets and, uh, make up an opinion of my own here. Yeah. Adjust this. your fantasy football rankings accordingly. Your redraft yeah. rankings for Taylor Heineke based upon what you think. Uh, yeah. the Sunday games, uh, we had the Ravens picking up the win over the Titans, the Titans, you know, really a team all year long, a defense that has been so much worse than people realize. And that was something I talked about. I did the live before lock show, uh, for Osmo on Sunday and was like, yeah, I really don't know how the Ravens don't win this or don't at least put up a good fantasy day. And in that first half, they showed a uh, spit in my face. It showed me how they put up a bad fantasy day. Just Lamar throwing ducks, uh, really not looking the best. And then, and then all of a sudden Lamar puts it down, breaks the long run ends up with our ride or die picks. I picked Lamar to have over 133 rushing yards, mostly just as a callback to when we argued this being the point and PD finished with 136 rushing yards. Also made Brown look viable. Also, you know, Mark Andrews probably could have had a bigger day than he had. Uh, Lamar, I think the Lamar-Josh Allen matchup next week is the best running QB matchup we've probably ever seen.
1: Yeah, that 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 game is going to be
0: so, so good. Do we have an early over-under on that for how many yep. points today? We do. We have uh, the Bills are favored by two and a half right now. Uh, 26 and three, 26.3 implied points for Buffalo, 23.8 for Baltimore. Nice. Yeah, that game is going to be
1: uh, so fun. I hope it doesn't slow down. Uh, I hope we get... We need a little bit of an early Bills lead, right? Because the Ravens are the team that will more run with a lead, but if they get behind, then they'll start to air it out where we know the Bills will chuck it no matter what. So we need an early Bills lead and just let that game shoot out. Um, yeah, I can see either team winning it there. Uh, if it, I mean, based on that line, they're basically saying it's a pick em,
0: but the yeah. Bills have that home field advantage. So that's going to be fun. And, uh, this game overall, I mean, I feel like the Titans sort of did what I, what we would have expected in a game where Derrick Henry doesn't go off, uh, the passing game a little better Tannehill. I didn't think look great, but, uh, AJ Brown did the best he could with some, I, and ideal matchups and another zero guy, Corey Davis, who ended up so highly owned in DFS tournaments because he was a pretty logical pivots, AJ Brown. Um, honestly one that with the ownership, I think, uh, with Osmo's ownership, it was flipped where they thought Corey Davis is going to be, you know, high twenties and AJ Brown a little bit more. So, I ended up with a good amount of AJ Brown, but not quite enough and felt like overall the Titans just weren't there. Like they weren't as good of a team as a team might be, or might need to be to compete with Baltimore who also just kind of played down all year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think Baltimore's a a weird team, but I do feel like they've, they've started to play more optimally the way that they're using Marquise Brown uh, more too. And he is really. I think he's kind of moved past some of his demons, you know, just being this air yards guy running fly routes. Like they're using him all over the field. And when I say all over the field, I mean, all over the field, they're throwing 10 yard passes to him behind the line of scrimmage that they're basically using as these pitch plays. So I like how the offense is evolving. JK Dobbins was a little quiet, um, overall, but they made Mark Ingram inactive, which to me shows a lot of faith in the rookie there. And I think we could see a, a big game from him too. So I think they're peaking at the right time. And, uh, I think they're very live here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see the magic for them next week because I think that's the real measuring stick. And, uh, you know, good for them taking advantage of, of Tennessee after some demons in the past. And, uh, you know, limiting Derrick Henry, not an easy thing to do. And they kept him bottled up and, you know, certainly game scripted it as well. The Nickelodeon game is the one we have to hit on next. And um, I, I felt like this game, I really thought the Bears had a shot. Pete, you picked the Bears money line. I thought Allen Robinson was going to get over 20 DK points. I don't think it was his fault. I think Mitch was terrified to throw into tight windows all game long but this game was just ugly. I felt like I felt bad for the kids having to watch this. I don't know if you're a child, there are probably enough bells and whistles where you're like, Oh, slime cannons. We like SpongeBob's here dancing about like you're probably still enjoying it. But if this is your introduction of football, what an ugly introduction, including uh, a little punch to Anthony Miller during or from Anthony Miller during the game that the kids uh, Pete asked like what happened with that one. And yeah, they just quickly cut away because kids don't need to see Anthony Miller getting uh, rattled by Courtney Gardner Johnson. But uh, overall, I just thought the bears should have been better than this and was disappointed. I still think the saints are, uh, an easy mark for somebody. I just don't know who it's going to be.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, no, I, I completely agree with that assessment. Cause I continue to think the saints are a little bit of a paper tiger, but the bears on the road are just not the team to expose them. Uh, but now they have a much tougher matchup here. Although we saw, I mean, this is the rematch, right? From when the Saints just absolutely manhandled yeah. the Bucs um, midseason. It was one of the low points for the Bucks this season. So this will this will be a good matchup. Um, you know, I feel like Tom Brady has been a little bit of a fast track bully this season where he lights up in, in good matchups and kind of shits the bed in tougher ones. And going on the road to the Superdome here looks like another tough matchup. So I kind of think the Saints are still the, the team here, and they probably haven't met their their true test until the uh, the conference championship game, hopefully against the Packers.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, it's interesting that uh, we're going to have the Lattimore matchup against Mike Evans, probably, which has been one in the past where Evans has struggled, but Marshawn Lattimore this year really not as good as a cover corner as people give him credit for. Um, been a guy, I think, actually one of the worst cover corners in the league in terms of yards per route covered uh, he was giving up, I think, 1.3 yards per out covered, which is a pretty high mark for a guy who kind of gets uh, the esteem that he does, but he's at the secret sauce for limiting Mike Evans, and if we see unlimited Mike Evans, you're probably going to see a lot of Antonio Brown, but we'll see as that week goes on how how things are looking moving down. Uh, last game here we have to hit on uh, is going to be the finale of the weekend of Wild Card weekend, the Browns and the Steelers, and this game, Pete, I was so mad watching this one, not because of any monetary thing, but just because I just don't believe in the Browns. I'm sorry. I, I feel bad. We have Cleveland fans. I'm sure. Uh, Cleveland fans uh, great for you guys. I'm happy for you guys, but this team to me has been smoking and mirrors and a lot of luck and, and, they got the most luck a snap going over Ben Roethlisberger to start the game. They get a touchdown off of that. Also just a stupid play by James Connor and Ben, not diving on it, not kicking out of the end zone. And then from there, it's just positive game script. They just, the Steelers didn't have enough time, but I think obviously football is a four quarter game for a reason. You give the Steelers one more quarter. I do think they had a decent shot to tie that one up just because the defense for the Browns is so bad. Yeah.
1: They, um, my God, I still, it's so hard for me to talk about after watching that Browns defensive start, you know, where they had 20 points in the first five minutes and I was like, okay, this is the game we thought. And then they, uh, they kind of revealed their true colors. Now they have such a tougher test on the road at Arrowhead. I think it could be a fun game. Um, hopefully we see a lot of points, uh, but it's hard to imagine the Browns being able to outscore the chiefs at Foxborough.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, all all kudos to them, and honestly, maybe they have something magic. They're really overcoming all the things that they did with you know having their coach Kevin Stefanski in the COVID protocol, and then he couldn't even be like a digitally involved in whatever ways, couldn't call the game. Uh, you know, like they, it's a really magical kind of thing that they pulled off. They're beating the Steelers, maybe knocking Ben a retirement. Uh, I think that's you know a lot of feathers in their cap. But I like, there's no way like Mahomes should throw easy. Like Ben threw for over 500 yards. Mahomes should legitimately throw for a non-garbage time. 500 yards and should have like, I think Tyreek and Travis Kelsey, like if you're playing that Sunday slate, uh, just stack up the chiefs to me seems like the best move you can make. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to, uh, to see the prices
1: on those guys. I know, uh, DraftKings, excitingly is doing all the big prizes for the four game slate this week, as opposed to two, two game slates. So, uh, I'm definitely going to be more excited to make lineups, uh, for a four game slate than a two. And,
0: uh, yeah, I think loading up on the chiefs will definitely be a, a popular strategy. And then Nick Bird in the chat, one of our, one of our guys here, appreciate you hanging out with us, Nick saying the punts on fourth and one with all the momentum was the ending of that game. Yeah. Kind of a white flag there. And also, I mean, I think it's safe to ask the question. I don't think it'll happen, but you know, I find it hard to believe it'll happen just how the Steelers run things, but would it maybe not be time to consider a change for Mike Tomlin, who has sort of lost control of the team? I mean, if Ben goes, I think maybe you keep him another year and hope that he kind of regains that, you know, the, whatever political battles he's losing, but you know, Tomlin's team should run the ball. A Team and the game script didn't allow that, but I just haven't been impressed with him. Like, I feel like he hasn't really kept this team on the trajectory it has been for so long and maybe a new voice might be good for them. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. And it's funny too, because it kind of dovetails with, did you see the Pete Carroll quote today where no. he's like, he came out and said, uh, I think our goal for next season is to run the ball more. And he, and like, it sounded like a satirical quote, you know, when all of us are screaming, let rest cook over and over. And he he seriously is saying to these guys, no, I, I want to establish the run more, and uh, yeah, I mean, not that that's specifically analogous to the Mike Tomlin situation, but it does seem like they need they need a change there. I don't know um, what the the true issue is there, but Big Ben uh, probably ain't it. It's probably time to to move on there and and
0: start thinking about your future the thing that just frustrates me with them and we have our guy Steve Leibovitz in the chat uh, saying the Steelers have big issues with free agency. Yeah, that's that could be the last juju game as a Steeler uh, Gem City is a Steeler fan was so confused by the punt. I feel like if I were a Steeler fan, maybe these guys can tell us the thing that always frustrates me the most is like you'll see the Steelers have these slow starts where they're kind of half assing it. Ben's not looking good. Then it'll be garbage time. They spread it wide open and Ben's you know, running a no huddle and all of a sudden he looks amazing again and like I think he's capable physically functionally to be a good QB, but for whatever reason they always end up behind the eight ball. And then he looks good when he's digging out of it, like 500 yards for a guy, his age is like an amazing stat. It's just, how did you get to that point? And it was him basically being Jake Dell home. Yeah. Uh, no, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Jake to home that now that takes me back. Yeah. That's, that's a class boy. If we had DFS in those days, what, what an amazing moment that would have been five INTs. Well, who was your, when
1: you first played the first year I played even season long fantasy football, I didn't play until I think it was 2008. I remember Jay Cutler on the Broncos was my was my quarterback.
0: Who was your fa- oh, first fantasy quarterback? So I I played in. I played in high school, but I don't remember those. I do remember we had a weird league that we played on EA Sports website because it was tied to Madden somehow. And I remember I had Patrick Ramsey when he was the the then Washington starter at the time, a big arm dude who never did anything. And probably a guy right now I would talk myself into because I think he was just all errant, mediocre, deep throws. <laughs> yeah,
1: I had like inadvertently w- backed my way into a stack. I had uh the tight end Tony
0: Scheffler. So I had a Jay oh. Cutler, Tony Scheffler stack for, uh, for my first year of fantasy. Yeah. That's the the true genius that you have as <laughs> on display there. Just you, you gravitate towards it like a fish to water. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's what I do. Uh, here we go. Gem city wants to Jameis to the Steelers. I want Jameis to go somewhere. I feel like it's unfair that nobody looked at Jameis. I, I played one Madden franchise on the, on the new Xbox Cause I was like, I just want to get a taste here. And I just let, I let myself not get any good QBs and went straight to Jameis with a lot of better weapons around him. And it's working out great, Pete. So <laughs> like, that's gotta be a strategy. NFL teams. I just want Jameis to get a shot and that kind of offense, you know, even if they lose Juju like Claypool and Deontay, like that's a really nice two pack for anybody to be stepping into.
1: Yeah, uh, man, I am so excited about Chase Claypool. Uh, I mean, he's going to probably be pretty trendy in drafts next year, rightfully so. But uh, man, he—this uh, is a guy that's still like he was not playing, in, at least in the first half, I didn't see the second half. In the first half, he's still not playing in a lot of three wide receiver sets. Yeah,
0: like they a lot of a lot of
1: Yeah, so once this guy gets a full set of snaps and routes, I mean, it's wheels up for Chase Claypool, who I think, I think could be the next mascot of this show the official mascot uh if if robbie
0: if we lose him yeah robbie's uh taking a bit of it took a downturn throughout the year really and even though chase did yeah as a rookie that's gonna happen but i agree he showed some flashes and to me you know deontay and chase even if they let juju go uh definitely a, a duo that i think could be very dynamic and dave in the chat saying i called you a fish that you know i did accidentally call you a fish pete that's my bad <laughs> Well, if you look, look at my ride or die record, I'm, I'm certainly a ride or die fish. <laughs> if, if nothing else. Uh, we got a segue here into the wild card round stat shaming. So we wanted to do this. I wasn't sure if we're going to stat shame this week, but I think we have to. And of course, this is the time of, of the show where we ask that these plays get unsustainable numbers Do we consider them beautiful and a healthy way to touches. And we just talked about some of these guys, but I feel like I got to put it up top here. Juju Smith-Schuster, 13 catches, 157 yards, 19 targets, one TD. Obviously the game script, you know, definitely benefiting uh, just racking up a lot of cheap targets and I don't know what's making this this to me felt like a farewell for Juju in Pittsburgh like I think you can pay another slot guy you can get post-concussion Adam Humphrey or whatever to come in there Adam Humphrey is to be something or you know whatever draft uh whatever wide receiver you want in the draft who can run some routes because if you have Claypool and Deontay Johnson outside it's going to open up a lot in the middle I don't see this for Juju, so I'm going to shame him a little bit here. I think it's great. I love seeing him on TikTok shaking that thing about as he does, even though I'd say ill-advised to do that on Teams logos moving forward. But uh, I don't want to see Juju in my life. I have to pay him $80 million a, a year or so, or overall in a, in a large contract. So I don't want Juju here, and I'm going to shame him. I don't think he should be doing this week's week.
1: So this is a tough one for me because my biases and everything want to to shame him. But uh, my buddy Leone, Michael Leone, who I do tilt space with, he has continued to hammer that all year, like his volume has been similar to Deontay Johnson's. He's actually been more efficient with it on a yards per target basis. You know, Deontay, you know, notoriously struggling with drops a ton this year. And I think he's just not the sexiest of the three wide receivers. You know, Deontay Johnson seems to be the apple of Ben's eye. Claypool is the young upside guy, but Juju has been right there. So while I'm with you, I don't know if he's the most talented guy. I think the production matches the kind of volume he's seen, you know, throughout the season. So I I can't shame him. Whereas if I could like shame James Washington coming in and having a massive game, I'd be more quick to do that. But Juju's volume has been solid this year
0: yeah I think that's fair I think I just low a dot guys never the ones for me but um you know uh, Juju we'll see what happens to them in free agency because it's definitely an interesting case here that people are going to talk about another one coming up probably in free agency Taylor Heineke uh 26 for 44 306 yards one touchdown one interception six rushes for 46 yards and a touchdown and he really did this without leaning a lot on Logan Thomas without leaning a lot on Terry McLaurin guys uh who uh, obviously the Bucks knew coming in to try to stop them ends up with a lot of Cam Sims some Steve some Steven Sims so the Sims brothers uh who are not brothers coming through in a big way but I would shame Heineke right away here I mean week to week this is a guy who couldn't win a starting job in the XFL like if Taylor Heineke did that what would Jordan Taemu have done for Washington this week I think maybe he would have ended up the MVP of the league somehow so I would say Taylor Heineke fully shamed by me and not a guy I would want to invest in moving forward maybe competing for a job sure but uh I, I think to me he's got to be shamed
1: I can't believe you are shaming one
0: of your backup quarterbacks. I feel like you're destroying your brand. Well, he's not one of my, he's not a deep throwing guy. Like I like the deep throwing and the mobility. That's what always pops me or being Italian American. And he's got neither okay, of those. I was about to bring up Ben DiNucci, <laughs> So I'm glad you added in that qualifier
1: there. Um, I have a fine, I'll just play. I'll play contrarian. I won't I won't stat shame him. I think what he came in there and he made plays, he didn't play scared. He did what these guys need to do. They need to go in and make plays with their legs. He doesn't have the skill set to be going through 3 4 progressions and he did. He maxed out his skill set in this scenario in a playoff game against a really good team. I'm not going to stat shame him. I think I think he balled out and delivered over expectation.
0: I think he should be employed. I don't think he should be your starting QB overall, but also Steve pointing out, and I forgot this, that they mentioned mentioned during the show that Juju does want to move back outside. Cause he's found uh, being in the slot to be a little more of a grind. Uh, so kind of a thing that we see a lot in the NBA with centers, like guys like Anthony Davis don't want to play center because uh, the physical toll can be a lot. So maybe Juju moves outside. Maybe he has some of those uh, early numbers he had alongside Antonio Brown, but I feel like that offense has shown that that was definitely more system than anything else. Last guy, we need to stat shame. And I'm not going to stat shame this guy at all. I, I am enticed. I want to see him work more. I want to see him work and get a full backfield over and over again. Cam Akers, 28 rushes, 131 yards and a TD, two catches for 45 yards on two targets. And Pete, you like him young. <laughs> you like him, you like him new bile cam makers. Is is one of those guys who uh you were on early and he didn't maybe pay immediate dividends, but I feel like now we're seeing that full potential, seeing him work, seeing him stretch, seeing him get all that action that he needs. And uh I want to see Cam every week. I to me he should be an easy first-round pick as long as he's healthy next year.
1: Yeah, and I mean things are setting up nicely for him, even on the road. I mean, the Packers run defense has not been good. The question is, do we get the kind of game script they had on the Titans? where they just boat race them and the team doesn't ever have a chance to run. But if this game is close and Cam Akers can get a ton of touches, uh, yeah, he's really, really good. I think um, this entire rookie running back class at the top, you know, the guys we talked about, Jonathan Taylor, Dobbins, um, I guess outside of uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks like the bust at the top. But Akers, I think, is the is the real deal. I think they found a found a good one here and um yeah, I'm not going to stat
0: shame him. They needed him to do that to win and and he delivered. So one last item we wanted to hit on, we'll do a very quick little look at the games. Obviously, we haven't done our full research on the games coming up the divisional round uh, next weekend, but we'll give you the totals and some some brief thoughts on them. We'll run through them fast. But before we do that, Alan Robinson had one quote, which I thought was interesting that I just wanted to touch on. I actually retweeted it today. I'm trying trying to get myself a little more tweet happy, especially after getting that. We got to follow Friday for Matthew Berry, Pete. I feel like we got we to live up to the hype that that comes with.
1: Yeah, that's right. Everyone is uh, refreshing their Spags Twitter feed, waiting for this stamp of approval from Matthew Berry to bear itself out in just one good tweet, Spags. Can you give us just one
0: good tweet? Oh, it's going to take a while. <laughs> Unless I get a, a load of your drafts folder on Twitter, then you'll <laughs> get going a little faster. But here's the quote from Jeff Dickerson of ESPN. He's the Chicago Bears reporter for their, their NFL Nation, whatever that is, whatever local thing. How many fucking brands do you need? ESPN, NFL Nation, Chicago Bears reporter of uh, a Bears wide receiver. Allen Robinson's a free agent said repeatedly this morning that everything's on the table in terms of his future. But added in regards to the Bears, I feel like personally we had an opportunity to be able to get something done over the last 365 days. So does seem, you know, definitely had some uh, unhappiness perhaps with the QB situation we heard from Allen Robinson, uh, definitely unhappy with his contract status. To me, the thing for him is wherever he goes, I tweeted this out. I think he's the Stefan Diggs of the off season where if he goes in the right spot and you have a team that feeds him, you know, a lot of targets, he's not as fast as Diggs. He's not going to be a downfield guy who's getting open by 10 yards, but he's a dude who's to me like the Andre Hawkins, just going to get catches in space, deserves to just be fed the ball because he does make those tight catches over and over again and has honestly had a competent couple years here playing with really crappy QBs in Chicago. So I love this guy. I want to see him go somewhere. I think if Detroit comes back to me, you know, having him with Stafford instead of Galladay, I think to me, that would be a very, very logical one. Um, I know people want to see the Packers, but going to the North, going to the Lions, sticking it to the Bears multiple times. I just want to see Robinson go somewhere and be happy.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't think you can come up with a wide receiver, you know, in the NFL who has run is poorly is Allen Robinson with the quarterbacks he's had. I mean, he's had truly some of the worst possible quarterbacks and has continued to produce and be a great player. And then on the flip side, you got a guy like Brandon... Cooks, who I think they're good analogies because they're both from that 2014 draft class, both heavily drafted Cooks in the first round, Allen Robinson in the second, and he's gotten to play with all pretty great quarterbacks. So imagine Allen Robinson having played with Brady and Breeze and Deshaun Watson. I mean, so I'm with you. I hope Allen Robinson finally gets a quarterback that can really um, leverage his talents in a way where we see Stefan Diggs go to the Bills this year and get a quarterback like Josh Allen, who's willing to feed him an offense that's willing to maximize his talents. And you see he has what top three, top four year at the wide receiver position. So that's definitely in Allen Robinson's range of outcomes. We just got to get him to the right spot.
0: Yeah, and he's the kind of dude for fantasy, you know, to bring it back to everything we talk about here, you know, just a guy who can be in a new situation and have a lot more upside. I think people just have slept on him because of being in Chicago. Maybe that if he goes somewhere, I don't know where he would be. That would suddenly be the limelight if he if they lost cooks and, and we're well, no, actually now because Sean Watson might get traded. So that's a whole other thing. I think what we should do, actually, this is a fun thing I enjoy on this on the Dunk Don podcast and NBA one. We should do like a mock offseason where we just like pretend to be the teams and then assign our guys to different spots. I I like it. I like it. That's I think that's a bit we should we'll workshop that one. But let's we talked enough Alan Robinson. That's sort of the one news item I just wanted to make sure to cover. Let's talk really fast divisional round games. And the first one up, Pete, the Rams, 19.3 implied points going into Green Bay, 26.3 implied points over under a 45 and a half feels a little light, but these Rams not getting a ton of respect. And uh, honestly, to me, if I'm Green Bay, if I'm a Green Bay fan, I am terrified of this matchup. I just feel like the Rams wreaking all sorts of havoc. Aaron Donald was banged up in that last game. We'll see. Hopefully everything's okay with him. But I think there's potential here for another Rams upset just because this defense is so good. And and offensively, you know, if Sean McVay has Wolford, especially I think he can make it happen. So I'm afraid of this one. But right now I'm leaning a little bit more towards the Rams.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I don't, I don't have a strong read on who I'd want to back. I think the bet I want to make is on the under here. I, I do think this would be kind of a gross, slow game. Um, and it's going to be really interesting. We were talking about the cornerback matchups. Now we're getting Ramsey, you know, <laughs> re- traveling around guarding uh, Devonte Adams here. So, um, I do think that the Packers will try to lean more on the running game in this spot, you know, the kind of narrative on a lot of the passing early on was, you know, Rogers is pushing for this MVP. You know, they're using Devonte Adams as a goal lineback. Um, I think we see a little bit more running from them, especially after we saw that game where AJ Dillon looked awesome too. So I, I think, uh, I think this could be a slow game, a, a game where the clock is, is ticking a lot. And uh, yeah, my early take is the under.
0: Yeah, and then the Green Bay also plays pretty slow as well. Uh, one of the slowest neutral pace scripts in the in the league. So uh, definitely some ways that the under could hit. So I think that's actually a pretty good take right away, especially if you're getting in early on some of these lines. Uh, next game, Baltimore going into Buffalo. We talked about this one, 23.8 implied points for Baltimore, 26.3 for Buffalo, uh, over under 50. I think right away, this screams the over to me. I do think this ends up being more of a shootout. Um, I think the Buffalo defense, you know, to me, now the Tennessee's out might be the worst defense left, I guess if we're taking Cleveland out of the equation, like Buffalo, Tradavius White's fantastic, but this defense is not as good as it was last year where they were a world beaters for a lot of it. I think maybe it's a function too of just more success on offense. but I'm really intrigued by this game and um I'm worried for Josh Allen, honestly, I want to see him get to that that championship game for the AFC, but I don't know, I, I, I'm i a little worried here that Lamar, this is kind of the Ravens, maybe putting it down and, and just showing people that they were, they were a top contender and he was the MVP last year for good reason. I know, I get like, my my
1: just pure gut, you know, no, nothing analytically backed is the Bills just feel like they're one year away of just like having all of the experience and everything of being able to be true Super Bowl contenders again, could they win it this year? Yeah, I actually hope they do. I they're one of the most fun things. But I think the Ravens are peaking at the right time. I think they're a tough matchup for them. And I'm with you. I
0: kind of like the Ravens in this spot. Yeah, and Buffalo soft against the run all year, too, which, you know, there are certainly some ways to cover that up a little bit. But Baltimore, we know what they do. They're going to run the ball down your throat. Also, I think worth pointing out this matchup for the AFC either way, as long as honestly, as long as Cleveland doesn't win. Like what a marquee matchup where you're going to yeah. either Lamar and Josh Allen versus Mahomes. Like even honestly, even if you put Baker in like he's still a number one pick, like this is a pretty star studded final four. The
1: one thing we cannot have happen is the Ravens and Browns win. I do not want to see a Ravens Browns conference championship.
0: What a moment for the AFC North that would be. They can all bask in that. But yeah, I agree. Nobody, nobody else in America besides an AFC North Cities wants to see that one. Next game, Cleveland, twenty two point eight implied points. Kansas City thirty two point eight over under a fifty five and a half in this one. And I think, you know, I think honestly Cleveland probably does put up some points here. I think Nick Chubb, really a guy. If they could keep Cleveland, if they could keep Kansas City at bay, I think Chubb getting results early seems like a pretty good good fantasy outlook but overall kansas city is going to have to be they're going to overpower them immensely i would think pretty fast so uh to me i think this is kansas city in a boat race yeah uh i'm
1: with you too i think um you see this happen a decent amount with what did you say the
0: spread is how how much is KC uh, it's currently a 10 point spread favoring kansas city Okay. All
1: right. That doesn't seem too unreasonable. I was going to say, sometimes you see this like out of sight, out of mind thing where the Browns just pull off what looked like a great win. Maybe this line moves a little bit. And you know, if it comes down to minus eight or something and people are like, oh yeah, where it's just recency bias fueled, right? Where it's like, we didn't see the Chiefs and we saw the Browns look really good against the Steelers. Whereas I just think the Chiefs are such a class ahead of of most of these teams all of these teams basically that i'm with you i think they win in a boat race i think they come out of the buy healthy ready to roll andy reed notoriously has been great coming out of a buy uh i think they roll big time here
0: yeah, I think they we honestly saw them at like 75% capacity all year long and you know, granted the health at running back could be an issue but um, I feel like for them yeah, we're going to see probably the real Kansas City come out and I think that's bad news for the Browns but they got their wins. So I feel like Cleveland should be happy with that. The last game, the main event of the slate is going to be Tampa Bay 24.3 implied points at New Orleans 27.3. So they're a 3-point favorite at home, 51 and a half point over under in this one. And again, I really want to see Tom Brady overcome. I I do have concerns this was really probably the worst Tom Brady game we saw all year long, as Pete mentioned earlier. But uh, I feel like this is Tom Brady's... I don't. I want to say it's not his year. Obviously, he's had a lot of years. But I think it's his year in the NFC where I, I find it hard to believe they can't beat New Orleans. And uh, maybe I'll be wrong, but I, I would rather back the Tom Brady old guy and the TB12 method rather than Drew Brees and his many broken ribs and barely, <laughs> barely getting through games, it seems like, these days. My thought is we are going to get a Tom Brady
1: playoff implosion game. It's either here at the Superdome or they, they pull off the upset and they go on the road to Lambeau and he gets destroyed there out in the cold at Lambeau. So I just kind of want to get it done with. Um, I, I just don't like the bucks long-term chances. So I think Packers chiefs or, uh, Packers saints is kind of the conference championship that will be the most entertaining. Uh, and yeah, I think I will bet the saints here. Maybe I don't feel confident enough to, um, you know, do the money line or whatever. Maybe I take the, uh, the points, but, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not too bullish on the bucks.
0: I'm a little more bullish on the bucks. And, and again, another possible real marquee made event. If it did end up a Brady Roger's NFC title game. I mean, that's that's pretty good. I think you're right though. You, Pete just said it in the YouTube chat. I agree like the Tampa Bay would have been a much better matchup for Green Bay. Um I think that honestly everybody here got lucky here except Green Bay with their matchups. But uh, I'm curious to see how this one works out. I just feel like Tom Brady's going to remember that destruction last time and learn from it. And it wouldn't surprise me if they maybe didn't pull out all the stops in that game because they knew there's a decent possibility of running into the Saints again. We'll find that out. We've covered everything we needed to hit so Pete, a uh, verse actually. No, let's thank the live chat. Thank you chat for showing up we appreciate you guys we just put these shows on usually um we need to we need to give a little more notice but sometimes just the schedules are what they are so thank you to all you guys coming to check it out if you're listening on apple Podcasts as well we appreciate you guys a bunch got a couple more five star reviews on there so we appreciate that but keep giving us five stars and a review as we helpfully uh continue to grow this channel here and pete any plugs for you you want to hit on you've got a you've always got a ton of content and a a ton of uh, a ton of debts to make up from from last weekend now yeah
1: if you want to see me just so tilted and upset I reviewed my uh, lineups this morning on my youtube channel um and normally like i I recover quickly like I don't tilt for too long but I think the way this one unfolded I just had like a, a pit in my stomach doing that entire show so if you want to just go watch me be miserable for about 50 minutes this morning um you can go check that out that's that's
0: what we all want from our comedy king is to be sad i guess that's that's actually what comedians do they just get (laughs) depressed (laughs) and uh that's how i work but uh i'll be doing some awesome nba shows so just subscribe to their channel too if you want to see me pop up there i think tomorrow wednesday friday i don't even know that every day is a blur we appreciate you guys though and uh, have a good week and we'll see you guys on friday with some sort of special guest good luck bye